everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Rappin' with Refum. I'm your host, Keith Berkelhammer. So on today's live stream, we're going to welcome back Dr. Sanjay Yoshi. Hey, Sanjay, what's up, man? Thanks for joining us again. Hey, no problem. I love doing this. Well, we love having you. We got a whole bunch of people tuning in here. So folks, um, I know most of you know Sanjay. He is really like an icon in this hobby. And um, just a little background. He has written many, many articles about reef keeping. He has been a speaker at several National Marine Aquarium Society meetings and local clubs. In real life, Sanjay is a professor of industrial and manufacturing engineering at Penn State University. And he is doing us a real solid tonight because he is in the middle of dealing with final examinations for the semester. Right, Sanjay? Yep. So I don't know how long we're going to uh, keep him on here, So, um, but we really appreciate him squeezing us in tonight. Uh, Sanjay's been keeping reef tanks since the early 90s, and today he co-manages the 500-gallon aquarium at Penn State and has several reef tanks at home, including a 500-gallon tank. Sanjay, welcome back to the show. But before we start talking... I want to just do a little uh, housekeeping, some business here, and thank the sponsors sure. for the show, Bulk Reef sure. Supply and Ecotech Marine. I really appreciate these companies supporting the show, and I also appreciate all you folks in terms of who've been watching out there and, and uh, love to see the comments and the questions in the chat, so keep, uh, keep those coming tonight. We've got a whole bunch of people coming in here right now. Last piece for housekeeping, all episodes of Wrapping with Reef Bum are now available as podcasts on spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, and stitcher so if you want to catch replays of the show you can you can uh, do that in the podcast form sanjay are you a uh, podcast listener only when i'm driving long distance yeah yeah <laughs> otherwise i usually don't have the time to do it yeah i don't uh, i'm not a big podcast uh person but i guess since the show is on uh on all these podcast platforms i better get to it Right, right. <laughs> got to keep up with the technology. <laughs> I'm trying, man. I'm trying. So, how you doing? How's uh, how's things going with the uh, with the big 500 gallon tank at home? Yeah, for the most part, things are good. You know, yeah, as good as uh, not as good as they've been, but overall, there's one thing I've learned after keeping reefs for 30 years that if things can go wrong, they will go wrong. You know, there's no such thing as running for long periods of time without issues popping up. And every time issues pop up, I realize how little we know of what actually is happening in our reefs. Yes. Yeah, you know, we somehow had reached a point earlier, I think, in reef keeping where we thought we had a good handle on things. But the longer I do it, I go, I don't think we really have a good handle. <laughs> you know, we are lucky. If you are successful, with a reef tank and you've kept it for a long period of time, right? I'm not talking about a couple of years. Um, my tank's been running now in its current form since 2006, right? So that's already wow. 15 years. That's a long time for a tank. I think my record's like right. five years. <laughs> right, so that's why, to me, it's kind of an experiment, right? Because most people don't keep tanks that long. And to me, it's like, okay, you know, what happens to tanks when we keep them that long? What are the issues and things that we may be struggling with when we keep it that long? 
I think to me that's been a kind of interesting thing. Uh, so I always look at any issues I have more as a learning experience. Um, and sometimes you come out of it, you, you know, with good results, and sometimes the results aren't good. So over the, um, you know, since 2006, you've had a couple of uh, major issues. You, you had to reset the tank, right? I've only reset it once. Not fully. Okay. Partially reset it. Just the acros I reset. I kept everything else. Uh, that was uh, due to flatworms, the acro-eating flatworms. Uh, I got into this situation where you know, I started believing that they had to be out of the tank. You know, Now, I still have them, but I kind of have seen that they don't really take over the whole tank. You know, they, in the conditions, they can maintain low population. The corals can handle them. And how do you manage the, um, you know, keep low populations of them? I'm not doing anything actively right now. When the populations were high, I was very actively using turkey basters and blowing them off and, you know, having the fish eat them and keep their population under control that way. But lately, I don't even do that. You know, it's just things are going fine. You know, I hardly see them. Once in a while, I'll find them here and there on a coral when I frag it. But generally, they're not hurting anything. Do, um, do you notice, like, there's a one particular colony that's just not looking right, and maybe that is something that triggers a, uh, a thought in your head that maybe there's acro-eating flatworms, or are you, um, you know, just kind of sometimes... Um, thinking about several different scenarios, not just acro-eating Well, I mean, I know they're there, right? So it's not like they're not there. It's just that when it's not looking too good, I go, maybe it's the acro-flatworms have gotten a little bit out of control on that colony, right? Um, so then I go in and try to base it and see if that's the case. And sometimes that's not the case. You know, nothing flies off that colony when I do it. Right. And it's still not looking good. Right. Know? Yeah, and that's when you start to realize, you know, you know I don't think I have the, all the answers, right? And after thirty years of doing this, I don't know all the answers, but yet I can get answers from all my issues if I go to the internet. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of experts out there who can solve my. There's problem. a lot of experts out there. There's a lot of experts. It can really make uh, make your head spin in terms of all the different opinions out there about how to uh, handle that's what certain. They really are they're all opinions. Yeah. Um, right and guesses and some are educated guesses you know uh, that might have some grain of knowledge and usefulness that further needs looking into or gives you clues on what you might want to look into right uh, I, I'm way past that point where it's my water parameters right it's not the alkalinity it's not the salinity it's none of those things <clears throat> Right, it's not the temperature. I can those things can all be managed. Right, I know what's in my water. I can do ICP tests. They still don't answer the question on why some things still go wrong. Right, which then that's why I say we don't. I don't think we know enough. Have you um, ever had your um, water tested in terms of the bacteria? Make up, you know, the aquabiomics. I know Mike has done that. Um, no, I haven't that. actually done that. Um, I should maybe do it um, at least, uh, but I kind of want to do it in a systematic way where 
you know, we I, I kind of have an experiment laid out. So at least I can evaluate how useful these tests might be. Yep. Um, and try to approach it that way. At least get some useful information out of it. Uh, I've done bacterial stuff before, a long time ago. Um, Ken, uh, Ken Feldman and I were fooling around with protein skimmers and trying to see what they remove and, you know, what happens to some of them. We weren't trying to to identify the bacteria, but we were at least looking at the quantitative mass of the bacteria. Uh, but I really think that there's a lot happening at the bacterial level that could be a potential cause of some of my problems, right? It's a guess at this right, point. Right, right. Um... You run UV? Sometimes. Sometimes. Do you think do you think that um, UV could potentially running UV sterilizer could potentially have a negative impact on a reef tank if you ran it twenty four seven? You know, theoretically you've got all the um, nitrifying bacteria and, 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 and what have you, the good guy bacteria on the uh, substrate, rock, sand, what have you. But um, you know, so in theory, nothing good in terms of the free would be free floating that could get zapped by the UV. But um, what what are your thoughts on that? It has to be free floating for one to be able to get into the UV. Right. Right. So only the free floating bacteria would have the potential to be removed by UV. Right. But again, I don't know whether it. How much does it remove? I don't know. I don't have any answer to that. And I always look at these things and I go, maybe you should run experiments, you know? And this is, I would love to collaborate with the people who run this aquabiomics, you know, and say, here, you know, these are the kind of questions that I have that I want answers to, right? I'm going to run a UV. Let's take the water that's going in. Let's take the water that's going up. Right? right. And let's see what the difference is. Yeah. Right. And not just that, you know, I want to try it out with different concentrations of UV. Right. Right. So, I, so whenever I want to get involved with these things, I want to do it systematically. I want to be able to come out of it with some answers. Right. May not be the answers I want, but. Maybe there's a chance that we come up with some answers to these questions. Otherwise, it's all speculation. Or on a UV, it'll take care of it. Well, I don't know what it's doing. Well, I'm actually... Right? Until we know what it's doing, really what it's doing, it's all a guess. Yes. Right? So, I, I had actually Dr. Eli uh, Meyer from Aquabiomics on the show, and we, we talked a lot, and... Um, they uh, they they sent me a um, a test a microbiome test and also a DNA test for my 187 gallon established tank and it's and it's a really healthy tank you know corals are just doing well the aquas are doing great and the results came back essentially that um, I I had a low diversity of bacteria in the tank but there was a good balance of bacteria and and the reason why Eli uh, surmised that I had a low Diversity of bacteria was because of the UV sterilizer. 
there was um, one particular bacteria, I guess, that was, um, you know, it was common for him to see that sort of profile with somebody running a UV sterilizer. So uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, that's a, good, that's a good result, right? Right. So if they have that kind of data, then that's a good thing. And it answers some of those questions. Right. And, right? And, now, is that a good bacteria that's removed or is it a bad bacteria that was removed? I don't think it was, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, those, those are kind of questions that pop into, your, into my head. Right. It's like, okay, yeah, it's removing something. Good. So we know it's removing something, right? Now, is it removing a good bacteria? Or is it removing a harmful bacteria? Right? And then, you know, what is a harmful bacteria? I don't know. Right. Right? I mean, I don't know what they are. To me, that whole field is out of my expertise, out of my domain, right? But I think a lot of the answers might lie in that domain. Yeah, um, it is it is interesting. I mean, it wasn't on my radar a few months ago. I mean, I never really contemplated getting my water tested in terms of the, the profile of the bacteria in there. And I... Um, I mean, I, I exchanged emails with Eli when he was first starting the business. And then, you know, we tried to connect but we never did. It was either he was too busy or I was too busy, and somehow that connection never happened. <laughs> well, yeah, so, he uh, he he definitely is a busy guy. I have I have a I have a hard time getting a hold of him sometimes too. But um, but what that's I, all right. But, I mean, but you know, that's where I think a lot of the issues might lie. Yeah, and some systematic way of looking at it, you know, might might be useful, right? At least this is how we pro make progress in science, right? We explore. Yeah, you know, I and systematically explore it, not just you know randomly exploring it. But yeah, I'm doing a um, a little bit of experiment myself. I mean, I turned my UV off on the tank, and I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it off for three months and kind of see what happens, um, and then maybe do another test after that, and mm -hmm. and uh, just kind of compare in terms of the results, and also just uh, well, hopefully everything will still be, you know, good and healthy in terms of what that, uh, how that tank is uh, behaving. Um, so, Sanjay, I'm assuming, well, let's let's talk about more about the bacteria piece of this thing here. What about bacteria dosing? Or have you um, have you done that at all? Have you bought into that? I mean, it goes back to that same question, right? What are you putting in your tank? What am I putting in my tank, and why? Yeah. Right. So again. That bacteria that I'm putting in, is it really needed? Isn't there enough bacteria in my tank? Right? What bacteria is missing that I'm going to add with this bacteria that I'm putting in? I mean, to me, these are the main questions that pop into my head. And I go, yeah, I can surely dump stuff in my tank <laughs> willy-nilly here and there, right? <clears throat> and not knowing the correlation of not knowing the effect cause and effect it's very hard to make a judgment on whether it even works right yeah so this is where i struggle with all of these things i mean it's like i i there's no way for me to assess it i mean the, the folk right and here's a coral that let's say i take a coral that i use and this happens to me all the time right i get a coral from somebody's tank and i put it in my tank and usually it'll bleach initially because i run really high light Yep. Right. 
it takes up to two and a half to three months to recover, right? So if I rapidly make changes in, in the middle, how do I assess the effect of those changes when things are so happening at such a long time scale? So oftentimes it's the last thing people do and they go, oh, that's what did it. No, it was that three months where it was building up with Susan Feli, it was building all the things, building up his pigments back up and adjusting to my light, right? There's so many variables. Right. Um, so the conversations that I've had with some folks about dosing bacteria and, and um, you know, I've, I've kind of surmised this myself is that the hobby, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this as well, but uh, to me it seems like the hobby's gotten more complicated these days because there's just more options out there in terms of additives and supplements and dosing this and dosing that. And um, But the other thing that I think that has made it tougher is that the equipment that we have available to us today is a lot more efficient and powerful than it was when we kind of started in this hobby years ago. And um, is that one reason why maybe we need to be dosing bacteria is because the skimmers are so powerful today that they're pulling out, you know, a lot of that beneficial bacteria. In our I'm going to go back to my favorite question. Are they? <laughs> <laughs> what are they pulling out? Yeah. Right? I mean, when, I, when, when Ken Feldman and I did some experiments on looking at just the bacterial biomass, we found that pretty much all skimmers we're able to get the bacterial biomass to about, what, 30% or whatever, I forget the numbers, but up to a certain level, and it pretty much would stay there. It's just the rate at which it came down was different, but the end result was kind of the same, right? So, I don't know. This is where I struggle with the whole thing, is you're telling me, if somebody tells me these things, I go, you have no basis to make that statement. I'm just, I, I try to listen to the experts, but, um, you know, Dr. Tim Hovindus was saying that, uh, you know, he recommends shutting off the skimmer for a couple hours a day to, to try to reduce that uh, likelihood that you'd be pulling out beneficial bacteria. Well, I would turn my tables on him and say, first convince me that I'm pulling out beneficial bacteria. Hmm. Right? Yeah. Convince me of that fact first. Then... Okay, maybe I, then I'll look at replenishing it if I have to. So there's a whole lot of information that we don't have, right? I know. And if you just buy it at face value, then you're just randomly doing things. That's just the way I look at it. And I, don't get me wrong, I do things randomly myself too, right? Because we're all hobbyists and at some point you go, you know what, what the hell, I'm going to try this. You know, and see what happens. Again, I cannot still tell you that this was the reason that it went away. Right. right? Because who knows what happened in there. The one thing that I do, I've, I've been experimenting with dosing bacteria since the summer. So that's kind of like one of my experiments that I've been uh, doing. And um, one of the positives that I like about dosing bacteria is that uh, I was able to take my Cato offline, which... Um, you know, I've used Cato reactors, I've used refugiums, and, and sometimes that Cato would crash. Sometimes it could be a pain in the ass to, uh, you know, clean it, um, deal with it. And 
the dosing of the bacteria, I've, I've been able to keep my nutrients pretty well, you know, in line with where I'd like to be. Sometimes they've gotten close to zero, which is, is uh, bothered me a little bit. But, um, you know, I look at the tank and if the tank is healthy, then I'm not too concerned. If the tank wasn't looking too good, then I would be more concerned. So that is the one, you know, benefit that I've seen in terms of dosing bacteria. I, you know, I'm still not convinced it's something I want to continue to do, but I'm, I'm kind of like in it for another few months, to just try to make that uh, long-term evaluation in terms of how it's been going. But I do like that fact that, um, it seems to be able to handle the nutrient export in my tank. And in my, my I, so I've got two tanks. I've got the, um, the 187 gallon tank that's been up for five years and that's got a lot of corals in it. And I think those corals are really doing a lot in terms of the nutrient control anyway. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're sucking up a lot of phosphates and nitrates. Mm -hmm. Then I got a much younger tank that I started a year ago that, um, you know, but again, I pulled, I pulled my, um, my algae reactor offline. I've been dosing bacteria in that tank and, you know, I've got like a little cyano in that tank. But it, it is a bare bottom tank, so I, I think it's um, it's been pretty manageable in terms of just siphoning out whatever uh, you know I see in that tank. But um, yeah, that that seems to be a plus that I that I do like with dosing bacteria is the uh, that part in terms of helping to control nutrients. I mean, it's you could you could say well, people were carbon dosing and seeing the same effect. So that scares me, carbon dosing. Right. So. What was carbon dosing doing, right? It was basically, again, the idea behind it was that you feed the bacteria, the bacteria supposedly are being carbon limited, and you feed the bacteria, and then you potentially remove them through skimming and other, other means. And that's your, quote, means of nutrient export, and it brings the nitrates and phosphates down. There's evidence that it, it does that. Yes. The mechanism may not be very clear. <laughs> They should they should really label what bacteria they're, they're, that's in that bottle. We just throw it all bacteria into one bag and call it bacteria, right? Mm -hmm. But now we're saying good bacteria, bad bacteria. I don't know which is good and which one is bad. Right, and and I do use multiple bacteria, and I guess I'm not exactly and sure. And what says is that your bacterial population is constant over time? Yeah, ratio is constant. Yeah, I bet it's not. Right, I bet it's like your human body. Your know, bacterial compositions are changing all the time, and when it changes in a direction where it's not good, you start falling sick. Right. Same thing might be happening to corals. Those bacterial populations might be shifting, given environments and what environmental factors control that. Could be temperature, could be food, could be a whole bunch of things. Well, just like what you said at the beginning of the show, uh, Sanjay, there's just uh, there's a whole bunch of unknowns when you're keeping a reef tank, and and you um you pass along a video to me right before the uh, the start of the show, and I'm gonna um, yeah that was just to show you an example. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm running the video now, and I think everybody will see it. Okay. In like um it's it's a like a 20 second uh, delay, but it looks like you've got a little RTN on one of the uh, the colonies. It's not really RTN. Oh yeah, it's definitely ST tissue necrosis. It's not STN, it's not RTN, because it's very different in the way it forms and the way it spreads and the way it behaves, hmm. you know? I've been fighting this for over a year and a half now. Just randomly these episodes pop up? Corals will be perfectly fine, and randomly 
a patch will a spot will show up. It'll grow on the corals slowly, and then randomly stop, and then it'll pop up on a different coral, hmm. and then pop up on a different one. Okay. And it moves that way, and it doesn't completely kill the coral oftentimes. If it's a big colony, it doesn't kill it. Small colony might kill it, okay? But that's what it does. And the way it dies, I can tell it's not STN, which is going up from the base and moving up slowly. No, this would happen right in the tips or somewhere in the middle of the colony somewhere. Hmm. And it's not like RTN because it takes its time going through. There'll be one little white patch I'll see one day. Okay? And then I go, okay, it started. And I can keep following. It'll keep going. It'll keep going. And then it stops. And then it's gone. I mean, of course, it leaves a dead piece of coral in the middle, but it's gone for a while. And then, oh, that one's got it now, you know? Uh, so it kind of did this for a while. And this is where some of the crazy experimentation then came into play, right? So my whole thinking was, this is bacterial. It's gotta be, it's different from what I've seen. And it's some sort of an infection that's happening to these corals, some kind of a bacterial infection. And so I randomly said, you know what? I'm gonna throw erythromycin in there and see what happens. But I'm gonna run erythromycin very differently. like. I'm going to put the erythromycin in and just maintain it for that, not adding more, but just let that dose sit in my tank for two weeks, three weeks. Mm. Let it just go for three weeks. Keep that low level of whatever remains after my initial dose and see what happens. The first time I did it, all this die off stopped. The corals even colored up, and I was like, oh, you know, this is good. Yeah. For three months, the tank was looking really good. And I was back to being excited about it. I'm like, oh, this is all great. And then a few days ago, I noticed this one again. And I said, this is back. And it's already seen it on, on another coral far away from it. You know. And I see that again, and I go, oh, it's not gone. <laughs> right? So I'm going to experiment, and I said, you know what? I'm just going to try this erythromycin thing one more time <laughs> and see what happens. And it seems some corals it doesn't happen to. Huh. Okay? And the ones that I had issues with early on, you know, years ago, a year or two ago, it all it's recurring on the same corals. If they get it once, I've noticed they'll get it again. You're getting a lot of um, confirmation from the viewers that uh, agree with you. They think it's bacteria. Um, possibly uh, John Benson mentioned the uh, Vibrio bacteria. It could be. Yeah. You know, again, I, I, there's no. I don't know what it is, but then there's no cure for it. So I'm randomly saying, okay, let's let's just throw in one antibacterial <laughs> and see what happens, right? Maybe I should try something else next time, but I don't know. Have you tried witch hazel? I did. 
Did you? Mike convinced me. Yeah, that he's, he's into the witch hazel stuff. Yeah, Mike Mike is all into this witchcraft. <laughs> <laughs> I did it. It did nothing. Did nothing. It did nothing. And the, the response I got was, I should have done it for much longer. You know, I said, I followed your instructions. Okay. Uh, so it, did, it, it, didn't, it didn't do anything. Any... Um... Any cl- maybe maybe it was too mild and erythromycin is a much stronger. Uh, but even like I said, I, I don't think the erythromycin is going to completely stop it. Uh, this is the second time I'm going to try it and I'll have some answers next time and say, okay, maybe it worked, maybe it didn't. Yeah, I mean, this is just <laughs> a real gray area, right? Because like, how does that bacteria get into the tank? You know, can it get transferred from one tank to another? Um, you know, how, how what's it was already there, and you know, over time, like I said, the bacterial populations shifting. Yeah, we add corals from here, from there. You know, there's a lot of stuff happening that we have no clue, right? Bacteria come from the air too. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, that's how we used to cycle our tanks, right? In the early, early days. Mm-hmm. You didn't put any bacteria in there. <laughs> no, you just stuck some live rock in the tank and you were good to go. Same thing with our freshwater tanks. We didn't put any bacteria, but they cycled, right? Mm-hmm. Because the bacteria from the air came and colonized it. Mm. Yeah. So it, it can come from lots of different sources. Um. Reefaholic is saying try some eco balance uh, probiotic, and uh, Reefkeeper is saying it takes a ton of eco balance on a 500 gallon tank. So uh, <laughs> that sounds like it might break the bank there. <laughs> break the bank. Um, it's cheaper for me to, to replace all the corals than to do all. Yeah, there you go. All right, and, and who knows? It still might be in the tank. <laughs> So, uh, Sanjay, when, when I had... Did my video play? I didn't see it play. What's that? Did my video play? It did. Okay. Will you watch it on YouTube right now? No. Oh, you're not? Okay, yeah. You're, it's, you're not going no, no, to see, on on Sk- see it on Skype. You're not going to see it on Skype. Yeah, you would have oh, to be okay. watching on YouTube. Okay. But um, that could, you know, that could be distracting. As you can see, I mean, there's huge corals in that tank that are perfectly fine. Right. Right? And then this one here, you know, it's got it. And I've, I've noticed that, again, that before they completely start going white, I'll see a discoloration on the corals. And I can almost now predict it, you know. This coral is going to get it. Because I can see the color change on that coral. That's such a drag, you know, when you yeah, kind of have that, when you have that feeling a- like, uh, what's next in terms of um, you know potentially losing a coral that you've grown for years and years and and just admired for years and years and all of a sudden it's just one day you wake up and there it is crapping out on you. <laughs> this hobby is, is uh, I always joke around that you know my happiness often gets driven by how well my tank is doing. I know. <laughs> I'm connected to it. I know. It's like bored, you know, when the tank's not doing well, you know, I don't feel good. Right. You get a little depressed. <laughs> it really so, is true, and that's a problem. <laughs> it is. That's why I go. I, I don't think I can ever get rid of my tank, you know? Just because of that, I'm so connected to it. I, I know. It, it is like uh, an addiction. Um, yeah, so there'll be times when I go, oh, I don't even want to look at my tank right now. <laughs> Uh, so folks, 
uh, this is a great opportunity to ask uh, Sanjay some questions. I know we're talking a lot about certain things here. Right now we're talking about the bacteria issue. I got some more questions myself for him, but um, if you wanted to throw some questions in the comments, uh, feel free to do so. And and also, if you're uh, digging what you're watching right here, hit that like button so more people can find us on the, uh, on the live stream. So, uh, Sanjay, when I was talking to Mike, um, was it last week? Um, you know, he, um, he was talking about a lot of veteran reef keepers having issues with their tanks. And he, he thought this was like some sort of, um, you know, trend that's been going on in the hobby lately. Do you, um, do you agree with that? Do you think there are a lot of folks that you know that have been reef keeping for, for many, many years that are just kind of running into any, you know, certain issues that they hadn't in a long time, like dinos or RTN, STN, and, um, any theories on why? It depends on what, I could be keeping reefs for a long time, but my tank could be relatively new, right? I would, then I would see different problems than what somebody like me, who's got a tank that's been running for 15 years would see, right? So, yeah, I mean, I do think, and I do agree with them, and we've both talked about this before, that, the way we set up tanks today, right, and the advice that we give requires a lot more patience. Yes. Okay. When the trend now is, it's probably a good trend too in that sense, that it's it's more, more sustainable and more uh, reef-friendly. I got frustrated with looking at why people were struggling and I said, you know what, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to set up a tank exactly like how people are setting it up today and see if I don't do the same problems. Mm -hmm. So I set it up with dead rock. Okay. Um, I set it up with the way we tell people to do things and I said, all right, this is good. Let's go with it. And I tell you what, that tank for the first two years was nothing but a series of recurring problems. Yeah. Okay. Some you expect because it's a new tank and you go, all right, I'm going to see Dana. I'm going to see diatoms. I'm going to see algae. I'm going to see some of that. But those, those can be managed, you know, to some extent. But then you start seeing these other more difficult problems like dinoflagellates. Okay, dinoflagellates bloom. You, know, you take care of that dinoflagellate bloom. Then you see algae bloom, and you take care of the algae, and then you know now you got cyano. So it's always it's been one problem after the other, and the tank just never have the same vibe like my the, the old tanks used to have. Um, and I, again, this is again speculation. Our old tanks we used live rock, came from the ocean, probably came with lots of different bacteria in there. Right, um, a lot of die-offs happened with those tanks, right? And there was always initially there's a lot of die-off that led to high nitrates and phosphates in these tanks, yep. or higher nitrates and phosphates than you get when you start with dead rock. And now you end up with the situation of a very kind of starved tank being blasted with light and creating the perfect storm for nasty things to happen but i think if you wait two years it, those problems start to go away 
You know, Just took two years. Don't want to wait two years. <laughs> <laughs> I had a. Um, we might have talked about this last year. I, I mean, I, I always tell people use extra. If you can find live rock from somebody's tank, it's a good way to seed things. Yeah. Uh, but then people go with bottled bacteria, where I have no clue what's in there. You know. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, we probably talked about this last time you were on, but. Um, you know, my, my uh, four and a half year old, five year old uh, tank, when I started it, um, I started with dry rock for the first time ever. I started, you know, dry rock only tank, exact same thing that you're talking about. For two years, it was one problem after another. And eventually I got so frustrated that I rebooted it and started with, with live rock. I found Haitian live rock. And, uh, you know, since then the tank has uh, thrived. And then last year when I started the Peninsula tank, it's a 225 gallon Peninsula tank. I um I decided to to find some live rock for it, so I found some some great stuff from KP Aquatics. They have this um I guess uh, aquacultured Gulf uh, rock or Keys rock or whatever. Yeah, they yeah, do. Keys. Sure. Yep. And yeah. and uh you know I was able to get it actually shipped overnight at a reasonable price. I think I, for a hundred dollars, hundred pounds of live rock, it cost two hundred dollars to ship it um, overnight in water. So it wasn't wrapped in newspaper. It was actually in water. And when it showed up, it had just everything just crawling all over it. And it was, it was awesome. But um, so I put that in the tank and it cycled in a week. <clears throat> no bottle bacteria or anything like that. But it was also, uh, it's a bare bottom tank. And three, four months into it, I did get a real big uh, dinos outbreak, which surprised me because I didn't expect that. But I, I think I also did um my my nitrates and phosphates were getting close to zero so i started feeding a lot more than what i had been so i think that there was like an unbalance that the dinos uh kind of mm -hmm. jumped on and, and that's how the uh the outbreak happened but uv just wiped them right out so that um yeah that's what i do too when i get dinos i run uv and it wipes them yeah. out so yeah. um that was keep it in the keep it in the dark and run uv yeah yeah so but since then, the tank has been uh, thriving. You know, no issues with the uh, with the tank, and and um, so yeah, I'm I'm a big uh, fan of live rock, and and uh, you know, a lot of people out there use dry rock. I've talked a lot about this, and and uh, you know, yeah, dry rock is okay. And I mean, I put several chunks of dry rock in my tank, but I put them in an established tank, right? And I did it purely with dry rock. There was a series of problems. So I think if I had to redo it, I could still do it with dry dry rock, but I have to be more patient. Uh, I wouldn't be turning on my lights for like six months. I ran my okay. lights. <laughs> I ran my lights at ten percent for five months before I put any corals in. And um, so I'll give give the other things a chance to bacteria to grow and all those things. And right, yeah. a lot you know, and this is this is a question I I, I would uh, be curious to hear your answer on. Uh, I've heard different answers on this. I've um, I have a, a belief that uh, you should wait a while to put corals in a reef tank because what I like to say is that you need to give it the tank time to kind of get a feel for that system. You've got maybe probably new equipment that you're using on that tank. Uh, there could be other stuff that uh, potential issues that um, could could uh, you know impact the corals that you have in that tank. I don't like to invest a lot in terms of corals early on in a reef tank. Although I've heard others say it can be beneficial to put a lot of corals in as soon as possible. It what, is. It is. I, I think it's beneficial to put a lot of corals in there. 
again, from the perspective of cause, are big consumers of nitrates, phosphates, and other things. But when you put them in a tank where you're starting with dead rock and bare bottom, where there is no nutrients in your system whatsoever, right, then the corals are going to suffer. Right. You know, it's like the same thing with planted tanks. If you ever started to set up a planted tank, you don't do it right, you end up with algae, a lot of algae. Oh, yeah. Right? But if you stock the plant up with lots of plants initially to begin with, some fast-growing plants, that keeps the algae in check. I'll have to try that again because I've I've had uh, minimal luck with planted tanks. I haven't had I haven't tried one in a long time though. It's if you apply the same philosophy of grief keeping to them, they're not that difficult, right? <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my planted tank is actually fully automated. See, that's uh, that's a major major thing is to have uh, you know kind of kind of a um, a tank going on autopilot. Yeah, this is what I wanted. I said, I don't want to put too much work into it, you know, and I want an autopilot. My big tank was an autopilot for a long time. I know. It just was cruising along. Sometimes that happens. You know, and then once the problems begin, then sometimes I make it worse, right? Somebody claimed to have a treatment for flatworms once, and, you know, I said, okay, fine, I'll try it. I messed up my tank with doing that. What treatment was this? I don't even remember. It was brown stuff in a bottle. It looked like some tree extract or something, <laughs> some plant extract. And oh, I was uh, like, you know, wormwood? It could have been wormwood. I can't remember the name of the product, uh, but the product could have been wormwood. But whatever, it was being claimed that it would eradicate the flatworms, and it didn't, you know. Uh, and it messed up my tank because I was dozing. I was just putting all this stuff in there. Nice. The tank would brown up. Oh, really? Yeah. No, that's not <laughs> I mean, good. Like, everything was like brown <laughs> in there. It's like, but, so, you know, yeah, I've done things like that. I, I do them for, I call it for the sake of science. <laughs> Sometimes it's out of, of desperation or like, really what else do I got to lose? Experiment, but yeah, oftentimes I'll just, do these random things. Um, I want to thank Johnny E for the super chat. Very generous, uh, Johnny E. Um, comment is just a thank you, Keith, for doing these streams. Thank you, Dr. Sanjay, for taking the time to offer sensible advice for all of us. And um, I've heard we've we've seen other comments, uh, similar comments about uh, how you've got a a very um, even keel, skeptical look at the hobby, which is a, a refreshing thing to have. Yeah, I think we have to, you know, we, we start, we got good at it at, at some point, right? We solved all these pro- initial problems and we got good at it. And we got, I think we got too confident about it. <laughs> <laughs> and nature said, no, 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 no. That's not how we work. Overconfidence is a killer. You know? Yeah. Um, so Scott McMillan is, is asking a question. I want to go back to this uh, question. He's, we're, we're, he's asking again about the bacteria. And um, the, uh, the comment is, ask uh, Sanjay if he had this issue with the, um, the losing colonies when you were using metal halides. Or is this only a phenomenon you've seen using LEDs? I wouldn't connect it 
to LEDs at this point at least. I don't have any evidence to connect it to LEDs. So I was having RTN before with metal halides, yes. Was I having STN before metal halides? Yes. Yeah. Right? But when I was using metal halides, this tank was five years old. Right. I used it for the first five years of its life. Right? Now the tank's 15 years old. Mm. So I can't connect. I ran metal, I ran LEDs for 10 years. I've only seen this problem in the last two years here. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So right? I think so that answers I, that I, question. I don't think I can make that jump. No. And start saying it's the LEDs. Um, Reefkeeper is uh, commenting. I bet Sanjay tried purge for the aquaweeding flatworms. Wiped out many of the uh, tanks. Maybe that's what we. It, it might have been purged. Might have been purged. So uh, the lighting question I uh, was just asking you. It's a good transition in terms of what I was talking about with Mike last week when he got a visit a while ago from Tulio from from Reefbrite and. Um, Julio came over to Mike's place and brought his uh, photo spectrometer there, and he found out that under Mike's LEDs, um, I think he's got radions, that none of them produced UV light. And um, the manufacturers say there is UV, but the test revealed there was very little UV light. And so Mike was wondering whether the lack of UV light in tanks lit by LEDs is actually contributing, you know, to more pathogens that can cause these kind of events, I guess, that you're uh, seeing in your tanks. But um, I don't know. What are your um, what are your thoughts on this? I guess we well, I, I go back to what I said. Earlier. Yeah. Convince me that that UV actually kills. Bacteria to begin with. Right. First, that's the first step. Otherwise, all speculation. Right. Right. People have already shown us that they can get corals to spawn and propagate without using metal halides. They're using LEDs, right? And these are corals that they've grown from frags and got them to spawn. Right. So if there wasn't enough UV in those lights or if the corals needed UV, it's definitely not hurting their growth or ability to propagate with LEDs. So how do you make that connection? Right? That, well, there's something missing with LEDs. Right? Maybe there's something missing, but is it affecting the life cycle of the coral? Right? Is it affecting the bacteria? That's a different question that I have no answer to. But, it, but I... I don't feel comfortable making that jump. Yeah, I don't know. I guess he he basically is is adding halides to his LEDs, and we'll see what happens. But um... see what happens to what? <laughs> <laughs> That's my always my argument with Mike. Mike, all this bleach takes me three months for it to, to to recover and look like it's settled in my tank. If you keep making changes every month, I don't know how you can tell. If it's made any difference, right? Yes, it's uh, you got to keep if, some if things you're constant. If you to do these things, you should at least pick a longer length of time. Control all the other variables to some extent as best as you can to be able to make some 
reasonable judgment. I'm not even calling it science because you'd have to replicate experiments and do all of that stuff mm -hmm. and have much tighter controls, right? But I don't know <clears throat> if you need all that science, but definitely we can extract enough useful information, I think. But no, it's not going to happen if you're going to change things on a weekly basis or, you know, monthly basis when things sometimes take three months to stabilize. Right. It's it's so tempting if you have an issue with the tank to try to sort of throw the kitchen sink at it and try a few different things. But um, when you do that, then you're you're really kind of searching for answers in terms of what potentially may have solved or didn't solve the problem. Yeah, I don't think you're searching for answers. All you're doing is trying to resolve that problem. And I've done that too. Like I said, don't, you know, don't think that I don't do those things. I've done that too, because it's back to that thing. When your tank's not doing well, I'm not doing well. <laughs> and at that point, I go, I'll try anything, right? I'll try anything. And if it corrects that problem, I'm happy. But if you came back to me and said, is this what corrected the problem? I, I will not be able to give you an answer that I feel comfortable with, right? Because I did a whole bunch of things. Right. Yeah. And I can pick one, right? And if you have the same problem and you did the same things that I did, you may not end up with the same result that I did. Right? So I always look at these things and I go, you make an educated guess. Right? Keep your fingers crossed and pray and hope it works. <laughs> works again in quotes because I don't know if that actually worked. <laughs> right. <laughs> you're you're just kind of trying to understand more about what's going on based on what you're doing to the tank. But yeah, there are no clear answers unless you're setting up a whole bunch of different tanks and you're keeping a lot of things constant in those tanks and you're changing one of the variables. Um, from one tank versus the 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 other tank, then um, you know it's it's and and it's tough to do that because you've got different life in each of those tanks. Right. Every every tank is different. I could keep SPS, you could keep SPS, but our tanks are underlying could be very different. Right. Yep. You know, uh, three year old SPS tank is very different. That's when the tanks look the best. Two three year time frame. Start as frags, great, and then you get all sorts of issues happening, right? Oh uh, uh, yeah, so. I, I, uh, you know, you're right about that. It's, it seems like the that the butter zone for a reef tank is about that two or three year mark, and, mm -hmm. and um, you know, I, I've achieved that with my uh, my established tank, and now I'm at the point, you know, it's four and a half, five years old, and and corals are really crowding out one another and, and I'm doing my best to to keep things trimmed and, and what have you, but there's only so much of that you can do for certain types of colonies and right. Right. And um so you want it to look good too. You don't want it to look like chopped colonies all the time. Right. Especially people like me, I like big colonies and so I'm gonna grow them out. But growing them out kills everything underneath it. <laughs> right. Right. No. And it's a game. Yeah. It's a it's game. It's a dance that you're playing. In, right. in terms of what's going to live and what's not going to live and, and um, try to move this to that part of the tank and maybe try to save this coral from that coral. I'm like, I'm thinking about just doing a major reboot on the tank and, and trying to... I think every two or three years, you should, everybody should just reboot the whole tank because that's what happens. It looks great for the, at that point. 
and then it's all downhill. So just do like what the planted tank guys do, right? They just reset the whole tank and restart it, but they don't have to wait three years for it. I know. <laughs> I, I might, uh, I might do that. I just have to, um, it's, you know, it looks really, really good right now. I mean, it looks so full, but you know, the other thing I'm playing around with is, is, um, going with more of a minimal aquascape and, you know, to do that, I would probably need to do it with dry rock. But what I would do if I did that was to set up like a second, plumb in a second sump to the to the main sump. Right. And just try and to cook the water. Yeah. And just try to cook that dry rock for like five or six months to um, you know to get that bacteria population, sponges, and other microfauna going on that, and then try to slowly make that transition with the um, with the main display. Yeah, I think because these rocks, I mean, they're porous. They're, they, you know, there's lots of areas for bacteria to grow. But it takes time. Um, and there's there's lots of good, good uh, fun things that one can play around with. But I think a three, four year point. Corals are getting big. They're fighting with each other. They have the will to survive. They're they're going to kill anything that they can kill. But that's nature, right? If you can kill it, you can eat it. You do it. <laughs> <laughs> survival of the fittest <laughs> you do it so I don't know, they, they go oh, I shoot out some chemicals or kill them with chemicals yeah. or whatever the hell they want to do oh god you know? um, So we don't know we don't know we just take and we say alright well let's put carbon carbon will remove it well that go back to my question I don't know what carbon removes in your tank yeah you don't run carbon do you I do you do okay it clears up my water Right. Notice that. Yeah. And then, you know, based on the experiments I did with Ken Feldman, if you want to reduce organic carbon in your tank, carbon is way better than a skimmer. Mm. Or remove organics from your tank. Carbon is way better. Interesting. So I always run carbon, small amounts. Yeah, I've always run carbon too. I like the fact that it keeps the water clear. Yeah. Um, so we got a couple of random um, questions, uh, Sanjay, and, and folks certainly uh, put your questions in the chat. I'll do my best to keep track of them here. We've got one question from Blue Reef. What's Sanjay's opinion on what's going on in Hawaii with fish and coral from Indonesia and other places? What do you think? Uh, what, what do you make of all that in terms of where we're going in this uh, industry with uh, collection? I think to some extent, we put ourselves in that boat. Right, and I think um, I don't like what's happening, but I don't see how it shouldn't be happening. Right, I mean, be, people are over. I'm not saying in Hawaii it's that bad, but in other places, people overfish, they overcollect. Right, they claim to be farming, but they're not really farming. Right, so there are a lot of illegal activities that go on. And I think all of those things put the hobby in a bad light. And all these governments and people in charge, they want to make themselves look good. So they they basically say, well, look, you know, we care about the environment. We're going to stop shipping of corals. We care about the environment. We're going to stop shipping of fish. You know, it makes them look good too. Right. But I don't see any easy way out of it. You know? You, Unless it's a concentrated effort by both parties, and I, I just don't mean the hobbyists and the supplier, but the governments and the whole chain that's involved in it. 
right? I mean, we know corals grow fast. Farming is possible, but there's a cost to farming, mm -hmm. right? And that's what happens. A farm coral now cost me 40 or some, not me, but somebody else, 40 bucks to, 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 to grow. They're going to grow it for two years. They have to have employees tending to these things. Right. There's costs associated with growing it. Right. Right. Somebody undercuts you by going and chopping up the reef and offers it at a lower price. Guess what happens? Mm -hmm. Right. People start buying from him. Well, he's, he's the one who's doing things illegally. It's cheaper. And we, we promote it. Yeah. Right? So that, that is our fault. We promoted that. Do you think that... Um, Directly or indirectly, because, you know, wholesalers make more money. Right. A far, if once you start selling a farm coral for 60 bucks... Whatever, I'm just throwing a number out. 60 is too damn cheap these days. But that's my frame of reference, right? <laughs> I've been in the hobby too long. Um, and you were buying it. Let's say half of that. But now somebody's offering you a coral for 10 bucks, and you can still sell it close to 60. Yeah. No brainer. Yeah, unless you, you consciously make an effort. Right. Right, and that's the struggle. So, you know, at some point, you know, there's these illegal activities start to get out of hand, and people to make themselves look good want to put an end to it. Right? How um, how healthy is the hobby right now in terms of potentially leaning less on you know wild collected? fish and, and uh, corals that, uh, let's say, are maricultured in the ocean. You know, are we going to get to that point where we're going to have to just rely on what we already have floating around here in the hobby? And, and um, We could get to that point. I mean, a lot of hobbies have gotten to that point, right? In the reptile world and the bird world, it got to that point. Mm -hmm. It might get to the same point with, with this hobby. But I, I like to see all, all this new breeding that's going on and, you know, people are breeding more fish and there's a lot of uh, exciting things in that respect, right? But again, it, you're going to have to pay for it. Yes. Right? Yes. I mean, there's no reason today to get a wild-caught clownfish. I mean, people are breeding them all over the place, Right. Yeah. And once you get to volume, I mean, I'm, I'm a manufacturing engineer. We know once you start mass producing, the price comes down. <laughs> yes, it does. Okay. <laughs> so with clownfish, I think there is a mass production reached, right? We can mass produce these things. Um, with other fish, we're not there yet. No. Right? So there is going to be a huge premium for them. And people, you know, when the hobby gets expensive, you're going to have less people in the hobby. Yeah, and, you know, that's, that's a... Or the tanks get smaller and smaller. So, you know, that's what's going to, that's what's going to happen. You know, that's, that's, a, um, that's a good segue into something I wanted to ask you in terms of, 
you know, the prices of corals these days. And uh, the astronomical prices of some of these corals these days is just, uh, to me, mind-blowing. You know, the, uh, the rainbow tenuous out there and, and all these other doohickeys that show up with uh, slick marketing names. Um, you know, paying several hundred dollars for a, a three-quarter inch frag is, um, I don't know, I, it, it just seems like there's a lot of uh, maybe newer people out there in the hobby that um, they're kind of growing up and... And uh, this is something that they're seeing as possibly the uh, the norm. But um, what you, what are your thoughts in terms of what's been going on with prices of corals and 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 all that? I mean, sort there's of thing? two aspects to it. One, the prices of mariculture stuff is going to go up for several reasons, right? One, the cost of labor goes up. Then the shipping is crazy right now, right? COVID changed that whole equation. You talk to anybody today who's importing stuff, ask them what their shipping costs were before COVID and what they are today, right? That is a huge amount. Yeah. And it's crazy when you listen to the numbers. It's huge. So where does that cost? That cost of shipping has gone into the cost of the coral also. Yeah, right? that's, that's a good point. So that's one thing, but that is unavoidable. Right, it may come down. The cost of shipping may come down, will come down. I shouldn't say may come down, it will come down. Right, but at the same time, there's this whole other aspect of the hobby that you pointed out where you have these crazily priced frags, right, that are based solely on a picture taken yeah. under some weird conditions <laughs> under which that coral will not grow, most likely. Okay. Well, we took that picture. It looked awesome in that picture, right? And people want it. And I always tell people, have you ever seen a colony of that coral grown out? It's going to look just the normal, like a normal coral looks. Mm -hmm. It's not going to have all that coloration in there. Right. It's not going to have it. These are all macro pictures taken under intense blue lights and then Photoshop. Right. So at this point, all you're doing is you're buying that coral for its name and I guess the pride or whatever you want to call it, saying that I own this coral. <laughs> right? Whether you're, you know, oh, I have this coral. You know, I've taken a lot of these corals. I, you know, again, I, I sit in a good position where to me, I can, you know, get what I want oftentimes uh, without having to pay an arm and a leg. Uh, but I've grown these out. I've grown some of these corals out. And if you saw them in my tank, you wouldn't even ask me for a frag. <laughs> and that, that but, and this happens to me all the time. People come to my house, they'll see my tank, you know, and I go, you know, if you want any frags, I'll give you some frags, and they'll point to a few corals that they know the names of. But they'll never pick some of these really fancy named corals because. They don't look the same like the pictures until I tell them, oh, this is such and such. And they go, oh, then I want to find them. <laughs> you know, it's very interesting to look at a fully grown coral colony of, of some of these corals. And you'll see that, no, that colors are not there. 
Right, because you run full spectrum lights, right? I mean, you're running your LEDs. I can, yeah, but that doesn't matter. I can put my tank on blue lights, and it looks just like anybody else's blue lit tank. Right, right. <laughs> and you got to put on these orange glasses to actually right. orange glasses to see the colors. <laughs> All right, you know, to each its own. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't like to push my agenda or my thoughts on anyone. If that's how you like your tank, that's how you want to spend your money. Sure. Who am I to tell you that's not the way to do it? Right? You know, I mean, I... Yeah, ultimately, we're doing this for our pleasure. If that gives you pleasure, then fine. You know, do it. Right. And right? and for sure. It's, it's, a, it's a very personal hobby. People have a distinct taste and all that sort of thing. I think that... Um, in terms of the hobby being affordable, it uh, there are definitely some beautiful corals out there that uh, you can oh, pick yeah. up on a dime that yeah, yeah. are stunning. Yeah, there's lots of nice corals. There are beautiful corals. You can have a beautiful soft coral tank. You don't need to have all acros. You, can, you know, there's a lot you can do in the hobby and not get into this game of having to spend a lot of money on equipment. You know, we used to keep tanks and had good success with Hardly any equipment. I know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know. And now it seems like every time something, some new hobby has a problem, right? The solution given to them is more equipment, yeah, more equipment, I more know. equipment. <laughs> you know? And the equipment is not cheap anymore. No. It's not. Right? I pay $3,000 for a skimmer. And I look at it and I go, are you out of your mind? <laughs> It's plastic. It can't be that expensive. You know? Shouldn't be that expensive. Especially when you can convince me that A is better than B in, in function. Right. Is it making that big That's of a all difference? speculation yeah. on your part. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Are you still running the um, that big, tall uh, countercurrent protein I, Finally, it broke, and I got I had to get rid of it. All right. It just... It, it, there was enough epoxy on it and finally still failed. <laughs> so you had to bite the bullet and get something uh, I mean, more I, modern. Yeah, I got a different one now. I got, I've got the Deltec skimmer that I'm running on there now. Um, there are a lot of advantages to the newer skimmers compared to the old ETS that I had, primarily on power consumption. I was running an Iwaki 55 just to drive that skimmer, right? And now this Deltec with its DC pumps and you know low power pumps, it's using one third the power of what I was using with my big skimmer. And functionally, I think they would perform just as well. Right. Um, I I just remember it being um, easier years ago. That's all. I think it was just easier. So why was it easier? Let's put it that way. Why was it easier? Like you said, there was less stuff to worry about. <laughs> right. That's why. There's a lot less stuff to worry about. I always tell people, if you add more equipment, there's more opportunities for things to fail. Right. Every piece of extra equipment you add, there is an additional point of failure in your system. Right? Exactly. And we've gotten to the point where we think if a piece fails, well, we have to, you know, things are going to go wrong. No, they don't. I can run my tank without a skimmer for, for days and have no problem with it. 
right? But we've conditioned people to think that if the equipment fails, the tank's going to go to hell. No, it's not, right? I have 10 lights on my tank. If two of them die, I still can run my tank and it'll be fine. <laughs> right. You've got a lot of redundancy with the 10 lights. Yeah. So, the, 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 you, you know, you, so this is what happens. You don't have to be panicking and, you know, reacting rapidly to a lot of these things. We got a nice comment from Dusk194. I could listen to this all day. Thank you for hosting Dr. Sanjay Yoshi and continuing to host excellent discussions. So, um I don't know how much longer I want to uh, keep you there, uh, Sanjay, because you're... <laughs> I can keep talking just like you can keep listening. I can keep talking. All right. All right, folks. So you heard that. So if you have any more questions, put it in the uh, put it in the chat. But the Steelers are going to play soon, so I'm going to go out to watch the football game. Oh, they're on. Yeah, the Steelers play the Vikings on Thursday. Ah, there you go. And the Steelers are uh, close. Pittsburgh team. They're, yeah. White they're, team. They're, um... Let us team. Are they? Uh, he's Mr. Steeler. He's Mr. Steeler. <laughs> they're, are they? Yeah. They're on the cusp of bit being in the playoffs, right? Eh, it's too far away yet. Too far they're away. kind of fifty-fifty team at this point. All right, we'll only keep you. Quarterback's too old. We'll we'll keep you for like another ten minutes or something like that. That sounds good. Um. So, one one other thing I wanted to ask you, um, just in terms of livestock clamps. I used to find clams to be very, very easy to keep, and I kept them in my reef tanks for uh, for years. I kept these teardrop clam, blue teardrop, gold teardrop clams. Well, when you say years, what? How many years? How many years did I keep them in the tank? Yeah, the same clam. Oh, four or five years, or is that? What's the lifespan of a clam? I don't know, but all I know is that <laughs> when I tried clams uh, recently, the last few years, they're crapping out after a year or something, if if that. Yeah, I have lots of clam skeletons. and uh, What's your theory on that? I don't know. I just don't think that maybe they don't get enough of light, they don't get enough food, maybe, you know, uh, they starve. Maybe they get a disease. It's hard to tell. But yeah, I mean, I, I was lately, I'll keep a clam. I've gotten them as really small ones, and I'll keep them, I'll grow them out fairly decent size over four or five years, and then they just crap out. You know? I don't even. So I, don't, I, I don't know whether the life of these clams are probably, you know, raised artificially in, you know, they're being raised, they're not being collected from the ocean. And uh, maybe that may have something to do with it. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I have not had good luck with clams in the last several years. I've stopped. I've stopped trying. I've stopped yeah. trying. And I, the last ones I really tried and had good luck with was this really teeny tiny uh, squamosas, blue squamosas. Yeah, like I lost a couple of those. And uh, those, I mean, I grew them out to like six inches. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and then this is just, just crept out after that. I um, I, I this spot, I, I mean, for the first time in my life, I actually had both eggs and sperm from the from the clams that spawned in my. Wow. Tank. And these were these ones I grew out from two inches. Wow. Yeah, that's. Yeah, so I thought, oh, these will last for you know for a while, and then they just crept out one day. Yeah, I have gigas now. They got like from ORA, like tiny ones. And those are like about four or five inches now. Mm. 
All right. Well, it sounds like you're having so a little. I can build them. I mean, I can get them to a size, but they don't seem to live long. I can't even get them to grow a little. Uh, you know, extend the the shell. You know, get a little white edge on the shell. I, you know, that's I'm not even growing them. Mm, that means it's not. Yeah, they're not growing. Yeah. So something's coming on. All right. I mean, one of the things that happens with clams, I think this is again, I'm not 100 percent sure, but this is what I noticed with one of my old geigas that I had that was like 18 inches in that inside. As they get older, the, I think the mantle gets thicker and thicker. And light penetration might be an issue. We don't have mm. enough light. You know? Yeah, no. But I don't I don't I can't say the same thing for these chromosas or stuff. But. Yeah, it's a shame. Beautiful animals. Um all right, Sanjay, let's let's wrap it with one uh, final question from somebody. Mike the Nubia is asking, Dr. Sanjay's parameters, please. <laughs> And not going to be any different from what people <laughs> talk about, right? So my temperature usually will run, like this time of the year in winter, tank runs around 77 to 75 degrees range. It's cooler in the basement. I don't need the basement. And tank runs around that temperature. In the summers, that temperature will get into the 80s. It'll get up to 82, 83 and on a good hot day outside. Um, but it happens gradually, so I don't really worry too much about it. Yep. Um, so the pH generally tends to run a little bit low because of my calcium reactor. So it'll run from 7.9 to about 8.2 in that range. Yep. Um, alkalinity, I tend to run my tank at a higher alkalinity usually. So I'll run it close to between 9 to 10 range. Mm-hmm. Um, I've run it in the past all the way up to 12. 15 is a problem. Mm. Yeah. 12 is okay. 15 was definitely a problem. The chalices didn't like it. <laughs> uh, they didn't like that at all. Uh, what else do you want to know about? Uh, Nit- nitrates, phosphates. Again, mine usually tend to run higher than what most people's tank run at. Right? My nitrates, right now, I, mean, last, I tested them this weekend. They were around... 15 to 20 range there. Uh, phosphate also usually runs higher than most people's tanks. Uh, I've had the phosphate go all the way up to two. Well, that is a problem. Yeah. Right? <laughs> One was not a problem. Mine usually runs somewhere around 0.8. Not 0. 0.08. 0. 0.8. 0. 0.8. <laughs> yeah, that's high. <laughs> but you don't have any problematic... Uh, algae, right? Maybe cyano every now and then? Yeah, once in a while there'll be cyano, but I don't worry about cyano and, uh, unless it gets really bad. What's your main source of nutrient export at this point in time? I'm a skimmer. Um, I run the algae reactor on and off. Um, usually, even if I don't do anything, it kind of stays around those numbers. Yeah. Um, well, you know, like you're saying, if... Um, if you don't really have the issues with the tank, the tank is looking good, then why chase numbers? Yeah, I don't chase numbers. I mean, I, I, when I and I've noticed that when I try to chase numbers sometimes, uh, I mess it up. Yeah, me too. Uh, it, uh, <laughs> Chasing is not good. <laughs> no, no. A tank that's very comfortably running at high values, and I've tried to force it down. I tried adding lanthanum chloride one time. Uh, not a good result. Now nah, you're you're playing Russian roulette with that stuff. 
So, you know, I, I, yeah, the less you mess with some of those things, the better off you are. I mean, I got one system that's running on very low nitrates and phosphates, like near zero. Tank looks great. And I got another system that, um, you know, I've got nitrates about 10, 15 or something, and phosphates are like, you know, close to 0.1. But um, I'm not trying to chase numbers in either of those tanks because they're looking good, right? So yeah. why mess? Why mess with something yeah. if it's looking good? I, mean, I keep a lot of fish. I've got 60 fish in my tank, and I feed a lot. Right? That's the other thing. I, my fish are all nice and fat. Yeah, fish poop uh, is good. Every, they spawn every night. You know, they're happy. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I do tend to do that. So that's, you know, this is – my corals are not starving for lack of food because there's a lot of – enough waste product from the fish. Uh, right, you're not dosing any aminos or coral food. You're just feeding your fish and letting the fish poop. Feed my fish, yeah. yeah. Same with me. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, somebody asked uh, calcium and magnesium. Same. I mean, calcium runs around 400s, 420s, you know. Uh, it can go down to 380 and you don't see problems. It'll go down to even 350. You don't see problems there. Um, 270, I've seen problems. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so I usually don't worry too much about the calcium levels unless they get too low. Magnesium runs around 13 to 1400. Right. Yep. Yeah. I've noticed that the magnesium levels drop, it's hard to keep the calcium levels up. So when I start to see a drop in the calcium levels too much, then I know my magnesiums are usually dropping. Right. And I always find that, um, you know, if, if things start getting, you know, in a range that you don't want them to be, as, as long as it doesn't happen too quickly, you know, if it's a gradual type of thing that you can kind of address without any drastic changes, then I think that's uh, that's fine. Yeah, that's the interesting part about drastic change, right? It drastically changed today for some reason, and then three months later that coral dies. Did it die because of the drastic change? It's happened three months later. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So, these are the kind of things that I grapple with oftentimes because I go, is this a thing that happened enough that at that time that somehow messed up the coral, but it took a while to die and shut down? Right. What's the lag effect? I don't know. Yeah. We don't know what that lag is. Yeah. Yeah. You know. All right. It would be so easy, so much easier the hobby if things happened right away. Yeah, that's not that doesn't happen. It's only bad things that happen right away. Yeah, and then <laughs> good things take a while. And then get us depressed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Sanj, I'm gonna let you go watch the uh, the football game there. But uh, yeah. any uh, any final thoughts before we wrap? Uh, have a good holiday, everybody. You know, enjoy enjoy your vacation. Don't become a slave to your tank. Spend some time with your families. That's the one thing I learned to do very quickly. That's why my tanks are very automated in a lot of ways. Uh, because I like to push them to the edge where I can run them on autopilot so I can do other things. Yeah. That's... There were times when I was totally, would travel and be stressed out about my tank. And that was never a good thing because I didn't have fun. And then, of course, my family didn't have fun because I was then. <laughs> <laughs> it showed so yeah don't don't totally become a slave um, keep your tanks where you're comfortable with leaving them for a while set them up that way 
I don't let my controllers make decisions for me. I let them monitor and tell me something is wrong, and I can remotely make a decision. Yeah, yeah. I'm that too. I so. uh, I totally agree with that, and that's uh, I I get too scared with uh, letting a computer make a change to the tank. Right. Yep. All right, Sanjay. Well, listen, man. Right, I want to. I want to thank you so much for uh, for being a guest again. We'll uh, we'll have to try to get you and Mike on together at some point uh, after uh, school is out in uh, in May. You'll have to put a time limit on how much Mike can talk because <laughs> he won't stop. <laughs> all right, all right, folks. Well, listen. On that note, <laughs> I want to thank you all for tuning in. I also want to thank Mike's Bulk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine for being a sponsor, supporting the show. And um, yeah, if you have any more questions for for uh, Sanjay, just leave them in the uh, the comments, and we'll address them the next time we have them on. My next live stream is going to be on Thursday, December 16th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Andrew Sandler, who has a 17,000-gallon reef tank. And uh, right. that should be a very interesting show, so please uh, tune in then. Until then, be safe, be well, and we'll see you next time. All right.